Hey, I'm here. You're here. Let's talk about it. Hmm. So we're talking about the soul, right? And and really what comes up when we talk about the soul is is what is the real essence or what's the point or why does it matter? Why do we have to talk about the soul? Why do we have a soul? It's not just what is the soul, but kind of what is this function of the soul? And really what we're going to do here today is just kind of peel away some of the layers to kind of dig into that enigma just a little bit. You see, we have a concept of self, right? That's very conditioned. We're, we're born into the world uh, at a particular time and place under particular circumstances that are, that are unique and personal. And these help shape and form this concept of self that is really um, misleading, I suppose, if I had to put you know, put a label on it. So this idea of who we are, this sense of self identity that we generally uh, attach ourselves to is what is referred to as the ego, our ego mind, our ego identity. It's not ego as in I'm an egotistical pig. It's ego as in this is the, this is my idea of who I am. This is the concept of myself that is, again, based on all these conditions. And so what we find in the soul talk here is that the ego is really kind of at odds with or in battle with the soul for for our sense of self-identity and the, I mean the battle is real the struggle is real and and it's you know it might be portrayed as the battle between head and heart it's who we think we are versus who we truly are at the core the center of our essence in our heart in our soul and so we're gonna just look at that you know a lot of times you know for some people maybe that's the first time you ever made the distinction between what I think about myself and who I actually am. And for others, maybe you've spent, you know, years in meditation kind of peeling back these layers. What is true, I think, probably for all humans across the board, it takes a a fair bit of humility to say this and to embrace it, is that we have a very high propensity for self-deception. We very much convince ourselves that what we think about who we are is true. And again, this is the ego-based identity. This is the ego self-talk saying, I'm, uh, I'm a carpenter, or I'm a basketball player, or I'm a rock star, or I'm a nurse, or I'm this, or I'm that. I'm, I'm generally great. And it also can be negative self-identity. I am worthless. I have no value. I don't do good. Uh, I'm a bad person. And these kind of things. This is kind of the internalized self-talk that's all wrapped up in this shell of the ego identity. And with reflection, we can begin to kind of create some space between what we think and what we actually are. When we can realize that all of these labels that we're attaching to ourselves are in fact just thoughts. They're just these ideas that we have that we've been convinced of or that we've been conditioned to believe. They really are 
just ideas. They're, they're fictitious. They're imaginary. It's not real. Now, you might think, well, well, Luke, what about, you know, I'm a banker and I had got a job. I wear a tie. I go into the bank. I help people with their money and all this. So truly, that is not a fictitious identity. And, you know, any example could be given. But the fact remains that at the end of the day, when you come home, you leave the bank, you know, you get home and you're laying in bed at night. Am, are you a banker? You might find yourself, am I a banker? You know, really? No, I, I am fundamentally a human being. And what does that mean? Obviously, human beings have been around a lot longer than the whole concept of being a banker. And what is this, you know, again, this self-identity that's based on this, this condition of, you know, external reality. And I would like to kind of shift to look at that for just a second, you know, external reality, all of the thoughts that we think about life and the roles, the social roles that we play, uh, be it husband, father, friend, you know, that, or we, we've got our job positions, our position descriptions, you know, I'm a, I'm a corporate, I'm an executive, or I'm a laborer, or I'm a nurse, or I'm a this, or I'm that. It, you know, again, social roles, important. You know, there's even social archetype. I'm a helper. I'm a nurturer. I'm a hunter or a gatherer. I'm a warrior in my heart. Uh, all of these things are part and parcel to our self-identity. But again, it's cognitive. It's head level. It's thinking about who we are and looking at it through this lens of external reality. And it is observable that has been taught through the wisdom teachings, you know, that the external reality is really, it really is just a mirage. It is an illusion of what is real. It's a distortion of what is real. There is something uh, existentially tangible in life that transcends all of these thoughts of, you know, these labels, the mental creations, the fabrications about who we are and what our roles are. And really, until we begin to create a little separation and and look at it as something other than self, you know, when we can kind of step away from the ego for just a minute and look at it somewhat objectively, you know, we're always going to be somewhat subjective as well. It's very, very difficult, if not impossible, for, you know, the average you know, without spending 30 years in a cave, you know, we're not going to real easily separate ourselves from the ego-based identity. And even if we were to do that and, and you know, become enlightened or become a, a Buddha or a Jesus or what have you, then, you know, we're still not... Uh, not, not totally there, right? Then it, we, we still come back into the world and the life. I'll probably edit out that little chunk. I had an email come through and it distracted me. I'm going to put my computer on silent so it doesn't do that again. Okay, so now, so the ego, you know, identity is kind of fundamentally at odds with the soul-based identity. There's, you know, we have these survival mechanisms, these protection mechanisms, and the ego in and of itself has its own survival mechanisms. It's, you know, protection mechanisms. It is a self-interested entity, this idea of who we are. And it is because the unknown is 
forever fundamentally frightening, you know, scary. If we don't know who we are, if we don't have some sense of self that really sabotages or undermines or subverts our our sense of purpose, our reason, why do we get up and go out into the world? It, it really, I do believe, is kind of entwined or interwoven into our survival instincts. So for millennia, you know, from the dawn of the human era, you know, we have had this need to survive. And that need to survive is kind of predicated upon separation or making the distinction between, you know, us versus them or me versus the lion or what have you. And all of this is laying the groundwork biologically, I believe. I'm, I'm speculating here I'm a, that this lays the groundwork for the ego-based identity. So what is true as well as the ego-based identity is part and parcel of being human is that there is an essence a little bit or maybe sometimes a lot deeper that is more true. So like true sense identity with a little t versus true sense of self-identity with a capital T. The capital true you is the soul identity, that heartfelt identity. And it is distinctly separate and different than the ego identity. It kind of permeates and transcends. It is inside and with you know inside and outside of the ego shell, this small-minded concept, this small me is this big me, this essence of self that is enigmatic. You know, it's a it's a bit of a mystery. But it is there nonetheless, you know, it is the soul that we're born with that causes us to crave that intimate connection. It is that fundamental questioning and curiosity for life. What does it mean to be human? Why am I alive? If at the end of the day, I'm not really a banker or a janitor or whatever, what am I? Who am I? I'm a human being. What the heck does that mean? What am I supposed to do with this this body that I'm in, this time in on earth, you know, this temporal existence. And is this all that there is? Now, these are questions that are valid and real, and they've been being tossed out, you know, again, since the dawn of time. You know, I think a lot of our our ancestors, you know, had a little more time to sit around the campfire and look up at the stars and contemplate such things. And then, you know, as civilization, as the evolution of civilization, of human nature, uh, of human consciousness, you know, we look at humans in, in the big picture, you know, we only mastered fire, you know, we learned how to build a fire at will maybe 50,000 years ago. You know, we didn't really master electricity until a few hundred years ago. And so... You know, it's uh, there's been a pretty steep learning curve, but you know, for at least four or five thousand years, you know, four or five thousand years ago, people were really tuning into this concept of soul and this concept of awareness of consciousness. What is this faculty? You know, this observing faculty, and we use the term or the label of a soul, you know, it is that fundamental essence that is distinctly different than our body. And, you know, the real easy way of looking at it is, you know, okay, 
you know, I'm running around, running away from a saber-toothed tiger. They catch me. They eat my leg. <sighs> but I survived, and I'm back by the fire, and I'm thinking, well, I don't have my leg, but I'm still alive. I'm still me to some degree. And, you know, I, you know, <laughs> or... I'm alive in an era where the earth is flat and the sun is revolving around the earth. And then all of a sudden, you know, this, this genius Galileo comes along and says, that's just not the case, you know, and somebody goes out there and proves that the earth is round and that we are in fact orbiting the sun. And I think, wow, you know, that's a significant paradigm shift. You know, thoughts don't stay the same. Our thinking doesn't stay the same. My frame of reference doesn't stay the same. And... These are just kind of basic or simple, simple to grasp illustrations that, you know, we are not, our identity is not our body. It is not our thoughts. And that's the big one that is kind of the aha when we realize that who we are is not in fact what we think then we can create, you know, that little bit of distinction between the ego identity and then the essence of self, the soul. And that opens up a whole realm of contemplation that ultimately allows us to dig in a little bit deeper and, and begin to discover for ourselves how do we define ourself without the labels without the ego how do we acquaint ourselves with the essence of who we are that fundamental awareness that gives rise to curiosity that gives rise to the power of observation that part of me that's the part that i want to get to know a little bit better how do i do that well you know again four or five thousand years ago there was you know quite a few uh, sagey, you know, sages of the ages that said, you know, there, there's this path to illuminating the mind, to uncovering and unraveling the truth from the impression or the distortions of truth. And yoga provides an excellent path to do this. This is like the gift of humanity passed down. And you know, meditation, you know, Buddhist meditation, Zen meditation, transcendental meditation, you know, these are all uh, equal path apparatus, you know, tools to, again, kind of cultivate the clarity that allows us to connect with that reality that is not distorted. You know, the, what is real, it allows us to connect with the reality that's not just a fictitious um, of our imagination, a figment of our imagination. So how do we connect with life in the real and satisfying way? You know, that, that soul satisfying, intimate connection with life can only come from a place of clarity when we're no longer caught up in our mind and chasing, you know, running around through the maze, this mental mirage, when we realize that we can step away from that or disengage that, kind of let go of that illusion, it can be a little bit scary, you know, if, if and I think this is maybe why it's not a common practice, right, why everybody's not doing it, is because to uproot 
the illusion is to let go of what we know and let go of that sense of certainty in the concrete structure of mental concept. And it, it can create this sense of free fall and panic, like, holy shit, if that's not, uh, if that's not real, what is real? And if there's no immediate answer, then that can be uncomfortable and understandably uncomfortable. And so many, many, many people, if not the vast majority of human beings, I think probably have no desire to let go. It's just not necessary, right? I can live my life. I can live and die and never have to, you know, acknowledge or let alone, you know, examine or get let go of an ego identity. I can, you know, go through life as a human being quite, you know, happily, fat, dumb and happy, perhaps, um, without digging into this essence of soul. Now, I think that is shifting uh, at the global level. There is a you know, insatiable desire and curiosity for explanation that's really kind of causing uh, a massive shedding of tradition, a massive shedding of um, of the preconceived of what has been a sufficient explanation. All of a sudden, you know, the human heart's kind of revolting and rebelling against that going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, uh, I'm not comfortable just going to church and giving my 10% and getting these kind of canned answers about the, the nature of life and reality, you know, it's not, it doesn't satisfy as much anymore. And this is a beautiful thing. And yet it's not necessary to decimate the value and worth of the traditional religious institutions of any lineage, because it does provide a safety net for the emotional stability for, you know, a great number of people. However, you know, the purpose of soul talk is to talk about the things that don't get talked about at church, you know, to kind of dig into it. And so a lot of our self identity is oftentimes a conditioned sense of self that is associated with a religious affiliation. I'm a Jew, I'm a Christian, I'm a Muslim, I'm a Hindu, I'm a Buddhist, you know, all of these things are just labels. Again, they are, you know, mental concepts that dilute ultimately our sense of self. It is, it is a false sense of security because they are not based on an existential experience of reality, that real true essence of the soul. And so as the battle rages for who are we or who am I, and we can't go off and sit in a cave for 30 years, that's fine. I'm going to kind of work my way through life. You know, we're going to get into how this plays out on the, on the daily stage, on the day in and day out. There's a lot of value that comes from realizing the dis and making the distinction between the ego and the soul and realizing actually how much of our kind of self-deception and self-induced suffering is simply a fact that we are caught up in our ego identity. It is our, you know, it is our concept or our idea of who we are that is offended and therefore our emotions become provoked and we all of a sudden find ourselves in an argument or feeling sad, uh, feeling dejected, feeling lonely. All of these things are only or are, let's see, are facilitated by, you know, they're only 
meaningful when we are lost in that illusion that the ego is who we are. And at any point in time, in every given moment, there is the true nature, the true essence of self, the soul on the inside, this big, vast, you know, field of peace and joy that transcends all the mental uh, mirage, the mental musings, and is there as a source. It is the source of our inspiration as much as our curiosity. It's the source of our passion. It's the source of our purpose. And this is the source that we long to connect with. So that's the gist of the battle between the ego and the soul. And we're going to get into it lots more. I'm looking forward to it, uh, having fun. If you have any questions, you know, I'd like to facilitate, you know, discussion about it. So you can drop comments, connect with me on Facebook. Someday I might even set up a forum to discuss this kind of stuff. But for now, I just thank you for listening. I hope that you have a terrific day. Take this this thought, you know, the this distinction, this separation, create that space in your mind a little bit. Take it with you throughout the day and and realize, you know, how much of what you're experiencing is just ego. It's just thinking. And can you reside and abide in the underlying awareness a little bit more by taking a deep breath and being just a little bit more in the moment? I think if you could play with that a little bit, you might find that it's enjoyable and that it opens some doors for further contemplation. And, and so I'll leave you with that. Until next time, I hope that peace may grace your path. Have a terrific day. And thanks for listening.